Diary of a Dickhead, the podcast dedicated to outcasts, assholes, and of course, the dickheads. I am your host, Chris Sicoli, and welcome to episode three. Uh, the dickhead of the week this week will be none other than the great Jimmy Fallon. And I will use the term great because I went into this thinking I hated Jimmy Fallon, and I kind of do. Right? Like, not, not, I don't hate Jimmy Fallon. His comedy is just not for me. That's, that's what it comes down to, right? It's meant for, for basic bitches. And I don't mean women. I mean the basic bitch template. Applies to men, too. So if you're a guy who just, you know, you get off work and all you want to do is just want to crack open a beer and watch the game, you're watching Jimmy Fallon and actively laughing at it. Same with, you know, if you're a middle-aged soccer mom, right? You got the minivan, drop the kids off, all that stuff. You are laughing at Jimmy Fallon. It's all these just basic salt-of-the-earth people who don't want anything too offensive or too too thinky, right? They don't want to use their brain too much. They just want to watch a grown man giggle in front of them until they giggle. That's who Jimmy Fallon's comedy is for, which is fine. You know, everyone has their own sense of humor, their own brand of humor, so that's fine. So what I, what I realized doing this research and kind of getting ready for the podcast is that I don't hate Jimmy Fallon. I hate the world that allowed Jimmy Fallon to happen. As in become this multi-millionaire success story with the level of talent he has. I mean, I'll get into this in the meat of the podcast. He, he failed upwards. Almost objectively. He's not untalented. He didn't work hard or anything like that. But he failed upwards into success. It's an amazing American dream story. But we, we will get into that in a bit. Hopefully you all are doing well uh, during the quarantine, the pandemic. I guess quarantine's over for some of you as far as going back to work and just restrictions being lifted. In New Jersey, we're not reporting any new cases for the last two days, maybe, I think. I was doing some outdoor dining. It felt normal. It, it, felt, it felt normal and hopeful. No, no assholes, everyone wearing their masks to and from the table, servers wearing their masks, covering their nose with the mask, just like general what you should do shit. I've only had one bad experience since I guess all this started, really. And it was at a liquor store where I walked in, some fucking teenager behind the cash register. I walk in, he's not wearing his mask. That's fine. There was no one else in the store yet. If there was no one in the store and I was working there, I would take the mask off for a bit. You're fucking, you're alone in the store, of course. But he didn't put the mask on when I walked in, not right away. And he was coughing a lot. A suspicious amount of coughing. Like, if, if there wasn't a global pandemic going on that was spread mostly through droplets of the mouth, aka coughing, sneezing in public, that kind of thing, it would still be a suspicious level of coughing. Pre-COVID, I would have been like, why are you at work? Maybe take the day off. That level of coughing, right? But it's fine, I'm in the back of the store, eventually a couple walks in behind me, and then he puts the mask on. Now, like, there's three people in the store, not just this one guy or whatever. Still fine. I still really have no problem with this, aside from, like, eh, you know, if I was coughing that much and someone walked in, I'd put the mask on sooner. But that's about it. Until I get up there to pay for the actual beer I was getting, the dude, he has the mask on, but he takes my debit card... And remember, he's coughing a lot. So as he goes to take my debit card and I guess put it in the machine to charge me, he starts coughing. And he goes to, like, cover his mouth out of reaction, I guess. But he's using the hand that has my debit card. So he's bringing my debit card up next to his mouth with a thin cloth covering it and just coughs all over my debit card. Oh, like, for a good, I mean, it felt like 30 seconds, a good five seconds of just, <coughs> and then he went to go charge the card as if everything was normal, I'd be like, no, 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 cancel the order, wipe my card down, I'm getting the fuck out of here, you are coughing directly onto my card during a global pandemic and being like, this is fine, right, there's no, there's no problem with this. I didn't give him too much shit. I, I was just like, hey, cancel the order, cleaned my thing. He was apologetic. I think he was more so just because, 
you know, he's some teen working at a store, and as weird as it sounds to say about yourself, I'm an adult, being 28, so I was like, hey, you young punk, why are you doing... It was just like, hey man, f- fuck this, give me my card, I'm, I'm out of here. So I'm sure he felt bad, like, oh, I fucked up, I, I lost a sale, I pissed this guy off. And honestly, I don't even blame him that much, because, like, we're all trained to fucking cover our mouths when we cough. And we've been doing that for years, whereas the pandemic is, you know, a few months old. So you can't just change your lifestyle of habits that quickly. That said, though, it was the only negative experience so far that I've seen, aside from, like, watching people walk into stores without a mask and then eventually get told to leave. I saw an old lady walk into Stop and Shop without a mask yesterday, and I mean old like she was already friends with the Crypt Keeper. Like, they have tea on Sundays old. And she walked in without a mask, and I was like, God bless you and whoever is paying for your funeral, because that is a recipe for fucking disaster. Mostly it's been fine, though. So hopefully it's been fine for you. Hopefully you're still employed or finding employment or living off the government dime like I am until, you know, the CARES Act runs out, and then it's going to be back to finding a real day job because regular unemployment just won't really cut it for me. But I mean, hey, it's still fucking, I'm still privileged enough where I get to live at home with my mom during all this, save money that way, and the government pays me to fuck around trying this podcast out. Yeah, I'll take it. It's not too bad of a deal. There's people in way worse situations, so I'm not, I'm not hurting too bad. So all that said, yes, hello, hi, let's get into the meat of the podcast, why you are here, diving into the deep dick headery of one Jimmy Fallon. Now, before we go any further, let's get to the listener agreement. By listening beyond this point, you hereby agree to be cool. That means if you hear a word you don't like or a joke you didn't laugh at, you agree to be cool instead of acting shitty on social media. Henceforth, vis-a-vis, etc., etc., you get the idea. Now, Jimmy Fallon is one of the first people I wanted to dive into on this because of the fact that I don't like him. I already didn't like his brand of comedy. I actually actively despise his brand of comedy. It's not just like it's, it's not for me. I, I'm glad some people like it because, again, everyone's tastes are different. But I see it, and it's not like I don't laugh. I'm like, ugh. Just who the fuck gets excited thinking about watching Jimmy Fallon for entertainment. That's like the visceral feeling I have in my gut when he's, you know, giggling on TV, doing... Look, here, here's what really got me, right? I, I was moving back home during, during the pandemic, you know, got laid off in March due to COVID-19, was living in Denver, moved back to Jersey during that time, and I stopped at a hotel, uh... And just, you know, randomly one night on the way back. And I turned on the TV, and Jimmy Fallon's show was on. And it was an episode early into the stay-at-home quarantine, you know, thing he was doing. Basically just recording from his house. And he had Alec Baldwin on. Now, watching the show, it he has Alec Baldwin on. Alec Baldwin brings up his kid to start. Like, his kid's on the webcam. His... Uh, Six-year-old daughter, five-year-old daughter, something like that. I don't know her name. I don't care about the Baldwin family. And, you know, Jimmy is on the other end of the webcam. He's, you know, talking to the little girl. And the little girl's like, you want to see something? You know, Jimmy's like, yeah, yeah, I want to see something. And Okay. You know, she raises her hand and shows a, a, a rubber spider. Just a fake rubber spider. One of those toy things you get to, like, spook people. And Jimmy, of course, being the family-friendly guy, acts all scared, just, oh, oh my god, oh, until the little, girl's, the little girl's like, oh no, Jimmy, don't worry, it's it's a rubber spider, then he has to go, oh, okay, oh, you really got me, that was terrifying, oh. But that's Jimmy Fallon in a nutshell, just childlike. All his reactions to real adult people and real adult situations are very, very childlike. He has tapped into this part of his brain, or has never evolved from it, where there doesn't seem to be shame 
there, there doesn't seem to be... I mean, look, I'll put it this way. Alec Baldwin, the grown-ass man he was talking to, could have been like, Hey, Jimmy, uh, you want to see something? Yeah, sure, I want to see something. Uh, yeah, okay, all right. And lift his hand and show a, a rubber spider. And Jimmy would have had the same fucking reaction. He'd been like, Oh, Alec! Alec, it's a spider! No, 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 Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy. It's rubber. It, it's a fake spider. Oh, oh, Alec! Alec, you got me! <laughs> and just giggle his way to $10 million. It doesn't matter if it's a kid showing it to him or a grown man, he would have the same reaction. Now, I'm partially jealous, right? Because when you lack that kind of shame, like that kind of care of embarrassment, and you're just in this goofy, silly place, good comedy can come from it, for sure. I wish I was less serious and more goofy in my, like, day-to-day sense of humor so that I could tap into that, right? But watching him on TV, especially at home, recording at home with this... Low energy, uninteresting drivel. And knowing the expensive life he gets to live because of it, it's hard to not hate on him. Until again, I realize it's not him. It is the business and the world around him that was able to lift him up into success when he clearly didn't deserve that level of it. Now, let's, let's break it down. Let's get really into it, okay? Jimmy Fallon uh, always wanted to be a comedian, or at least involved in comedy. He actually, I guess, was telling people for the longest time that he loved SNL so much that if he didn't get on the cast by the time he was 25, he was going to kill himself. Which is like a pretty typical artist point of view. I've definitely said that as far as like, if I don't make it in comedy by 35... Uh, from not, from not making a living by 35 in comedy, I'll kill myself or I'll, I'll quit. It, it differs person to person depending on how dark and serious you are about your goal. Typically, it's like, if I don't make it by X year, I'll leave and live a real life. That's totally typical. He took it a, bit st- a step further, you know, if I don't make it, I'll kill myself, which is fine. It helps motivate you because I don't think he wanted to die. I think he wanted to push himself really hard to get the thing he wanted. And threatening your own life is a good motivator when you want to live. So, he was serious about SNL and serious about comedy. So, lucky for him, he got cast when he was 23, I think was the audition, according to Wikipedia. 23, gets finally, like, you know, actually on the cast when he's 24. So he makes the cutoff, right? And he's on SNL, and, and he's doing all the shit. And before this, he's he's doing improv, he's doing open mics, he's doing all the shit to try to hone the comedy tool, work on his impressions, and get good. He has a strong work ethic and a strong desire. So far, so good, right? Brand of comedy aside, he's doing the right things and putting the work in when needed, with the right goals in mind. So he gets cast on SNL, right? Now, what is Jimmy Fallon known for from SNL? Aside from the recent blackface scandal, which we will get into. Just ask you, what is Jimmy Fallon known for? He's known for not making it through sketches without laughing. He's known for breaking character and cracking up during a sketch and bringing the attention to himself. Intentional or not, I don't think it's intentional at all. I think he's just such a goofy, silly boy that he laughs and he can't get through the sketch without breaking character. But let's think about it. The whole point when you're in a sketch show like SNL is to play a character for comedic purposes, and stick to the character. He had a hard time sticking to the character. So when he starts giggling and breaking that, you're always like, oh right, that's Jimmy Fallon. Not that you really think that these are the people that they're playing. It's suspension of disbelief. It's buying into the sketch to allow the punchlines to hit you and have a good time. Now sure, a few once in a while when when a, a sketch performer cracks, especially on live TV like that, it's fun. They're human, they're having a good time, you're having a good time, 
And there's times where Jimmy Fallon does crack, and you're like, ah, oh, that's, that's funny. You know, he's clearly enjoying himself. I'm going to enjoy myself a bit more now. Ha, ha, ha. It's all good fun. Except for the fact when it happens so often that you become known for not breaking, for, for breaking character. You become known for constantly not being able to deliver on the job you were hired for. Jimmy Fallon's legacy on SNL, blackface aside, which is a hilarious thing to say about Jimmy Fallon, especially in 2020, his legacy from SNL is failing at his job. Yes, he ha- he's a good impressionist. He has his own brand of humor. He put the work in. All of that is true. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve any kind of success whatsoever, but let's be clear. His legacy from his dream job is that he failed so consistently at delivering what he was hired to do that it became what he was known for. There's literally, I, I guess they call it Jimmy Falloning now, uh, around the SNL studio cast, or at least they did for a while. It had become so consistent, they labeled breaking character after Jimmy Fallon. So let's look at it like this. He's now being paid, at least from, from at that point, right? He's a few years into SNL when he, he becomes known for this. I'm thinking a few hundred thousand a year. That's without commercials. That's without any side deals. That's without, you know, contract raises. I'm just assuming a couple hundred thousand a year by the time he's like towards the end of his SNL tenure. I don't think he starts off that big, right? But by the end, few hundred thousand a year to fail. To not, to not succeed at his job. That's not on Jimmy Fallon. That's on the producers, that's on Lorne Michaels, that's on everything in that circle, that SNL improv comedy circle, that allowed him to keep a job, continue getting paid, for failure. Oh, but he's fun to have around, and, you know, he's not doing it for the attention, blah, blah. That's all great. If you put me in a sketch... And I, I can do a few decent impressions. I can do a, I can do a macho man, brother. Yeah. Yeah, snap into a Slim Jim. Yeah, all right. Off, off the top of my head, it's not great. I haven't practiced it in a little while. But I also don't want to be an impressionist. That's not my goal. I don't sit in the mirror trying to do that. He does. So when I do a half-assed, hey, brother, I'm going to go up to the top rope and drop an elbow on you. Yeah. Ooh, too sweet, brother. Too sweet. I'm like, alright, I can tell you're doing Macho Man because you're saying Macho Man things like Slim Jim and Drop an Elbow. But otherwise, it's like not a great impression. I'll, I'll, I thought it was better off the top of my head. It's, it's not great. But again, I'm not trying to be an impressionist. He is. His whole goal was to be on SNL. His whole goal was to be a great impressionist on SNL. And he gets the chance. And he fumbles so consistently that he becomes known for it. And that is how Jimmy Fallon's career starts. That is where the upward trajectory begins, is failing every Saturday night. You can't have that in another job. Fucking Frank the Surgeon can't botch a surgery once a week. And then, hey, but you know, he's fun to hang out with in the break room. That's great, but he's killed Four people this month. Maybe let's stop having him perform surgery on people. But he's not trying to kill people. That's also good. I'm glad Frank the Surgeon isn't purposely botching the surgeries that are leading to patients' deaths. I'm glad to hear that. However, he is botching surgeries that are leading to people's deaths. So maybe he stops doing surgery for a bit. Or at the very least, pay him less than the other surgeons. <laughs> Don't make him into a surgeon superstar if he can't do the fucking job. Th- that would be fine too. You know, let's, let's, let's compromise a little bit. So yeah, this is where I started realizing. when I got, to, like, And we're only at the SNL part of his career, right? This is when I started realizing, oh no, 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 I don't think I hate Jimmy Fallon. 
I hate his brand of humor and his comedy. That's fine. But I don't, I don't hate the person. I hate the situations that led to his success through failure. Now, is SNL the only example? Fuck no, it's not. Jimmy Fallon's career is a who's who of failure. That's not how you use that phrase, but I'm not going to edit this later. It's a who's who of failure. Thank God for Wikipedia and Google to bring this information to light. But actually, uh, I guess since we're going to go off SNL and go into the future of his career anyway, let's touch on the blackface thing. Let's touch on Chris Rock with blackface. Now, we actually, we, I, I'm fucking self-produced, self-run, do-it-yourself, motherfucker. I have the audio. You can look up the clip on YouTube. I mean, it's fucking all over the place. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, let's just, let's just run the audio from the sketch real quick, and then we'll talk about it. Again, I keep using we. It's me, I, I'm alone, but, eh, the royal we. Alright, here's, here's the audio from the sketch. Rock, now we're talking. Where is he? Man, oh man, read this book. <laughs> to be a millionaire and guess what not a lot of black folks on the show right <laughs> not a lot of black folks on the show you know why because black folks don't like to answer questions <laughs> oh they want to be millionaires we got to ask that kind of question like in 1981 how many grams of crack did rick james smoke when he recorded super free <laughs> <laughs> do you think the only way to get a brother on the show is to name it who wants 50 dollars cash and a pair of pumas so right off the bat good impression Right? It's not, it's not a bad impression. It's pretty solid. He has the, the actual, like, tone and cadence of Chris Rock down. The, the voice sounds close enough where, with the cadence and tone being so good and the actual jokes being Chris Rock-esque jokes, it works. It works. Did it require blackface? No. Nothing requires blackface, but if you're gonna do an impression and a character, and... The person that you're doing the impression of is not the same skin color as you. That's what it called for. That's what the sketch called for. Now, obviously, you can get in the whole debate of there's never a time for blackface, which I understand. I actually agree with that. I just personally don't mind that this happened. Probably because I'm white, and probably because it didn't, it didn't matter. It didn't matter in the grand scheme. People act like... They discovered this secret tape Jimmy Fallon had from 20 years ago that was hidden in a vault, locked up behind paid security, that he never wanted to see the light of day. But it was on primetime television, and it wasn't his show. People keep giving, trying to fucking cancel Jimmy Fallon over this, where is any of the blame for Lorne Michaels? Any of the blame on the writers of the sketch? Any of the blame on the producers behind the scenes? No, no one else? It, it's all... If Jimmy Fallon burst into the office and put a gun to Lorne Michaels' head and went, Hey, I'm gonna do blackface on your show this week, or I'm gonna blow your fucking brains out, sure. Then maybe blame Jimmy Fallon for this. But in his goofy head, he was like, I like impressions, I like Chris Rock. Let's do a sketch where I can do a Chris Rock impression. And then everyone went, that's great. We've heard your Chris Rock impression, we like it. It's good. So let's put you in blackface and get you out there to do the fucking impression. Now sure, yes, Jimmy has a responsibility, a, a level of personal responsibility to be like, hey, can we skip the makeup? Can we not do blackface? That feels wrong. But, in, in his situation, in this situation, let's at least spread the blame. Let's spread the blame, and let's not pretend that this was a secret video that was found. It was aired publicly on primetime TV on one of the most legendary shows in television history. Well-documented, well-known, well-everything. Well it's in the zeitgeist. This wasn't some fucking... This isn't some comic hitting it big and then you're finding out 10 years ago on some podcast he said some naughty word, right? No. That's not what happened. So I have no problem with this. I have no problem with the impression. 
I guess the only thing I have a problem with is blackface in general. My advice would be, do not do blackface. It is never a good idea. However, when you're trying to fucking cancel someone and ruin their career, especially when it's, it's Jimmy Fallon, guys. No one thinks of Jimmy Fallon as the fucking hardcore, edgy comic. Again, he, he giggles his way through life. That's all he does. This motherfucker actually looks like Pinocchio developed a drinking problem. Like, Jimmy Fallon looks like he wished to be a real boy. Like, he was a doll, made that wish, it got granted, he became a real boy, and then realized that being a real boy came with real boy issues, so he went straight to the bottle. He just got, like, this weird plastic look, but, like, those rosy alcoholic cheeks. He is, he's alcoholic Pinocchio. No, I mean, he also got fucking voted or, or listed as, like, one of the hottest people in the mid-2000s. And he, good-looking dude. I'm not even saying he's ugly or anything like that. He just, you know, he looks like he was previously a mannequin or a puppet, became a real person, and then found out Jack Daniels tastes great. But aside from that, moving on from SNL, let's go to, let's go further into uh, the career of Jimmy Fallon, where he decides to parlay his quote-unquote success from SNL. Again, known for being a failure. He decides to take that and go into movies. He's like, I'm going to be a movie star, or try to be, right? So he first starts off with the buddy cop action comedy movie Taxi, where he's starring alongside Queen Latifah, and it bombs. I mean, it makes some money back. It's like a budget of 25 30 million it made 50 million so it didn't lose money but it's not the kind of investment that studios are looking for right and not just the money aspect it sucked with audiences and critics everyone agreed the movie fucking sucked however you get these people like roger ebert being like this is a film that insults your intelligence from the get-go yeah it's a buddy cop movie with jimmy fallon and queen latifah what were you really expecting out of it? Were, were you looking for a fucking in, like insight into the, the dynamic of white and black relations when it comes to working on a police force together and, and dissecting the systematic racism that can come with a, a job without authority and, and, how, and how they deal with being a man and a woman and, and how that... No, 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 no. It's giggly-ass Jimmy Fallon... And Queen Latifah. Queen Latifah, I could kind of see just because she she has a, a few more serious roles to her credit. And part of her kind of brand is that, you know, she is very, very funny and entertaining. But she's also an activist and, and outspoken about certain things. So I, I can see that part. But fucking what did you really expect out of this? Fucking Giselle Boonchkin, the, the, the model, was a fucking bank robber in the movie. She's not even an actress. She's a model who got the job as, as an actress to play a bank robber. You know what Giselle Boonskin would do in real life? She would just be hot for money. Which is what she fucking does. So when she's robbing banks as like an international criminal in this movie, yeah, it insults your intelligence from the time they fucking cast it. Not from the time they started recording the film, or from the time the film starts playing and your eyes are taking it in. No, from the time they fucking wrote the script and thought, you know who should be the international criminal? The foil to fucking Jimmy Fallon and Queen Latifah? Giselle Boonchkin. Because she would definitely be in, in need of, this hot, tall, blonde, Brazilian woman would definitely need some extra cash, because she couldn't make it on her own. But yeah, so that flops. Jimmy goes on to another movie with Drew Barrymore, a good friend of his, Fever Pitch. I never saw Fever Pitch. It's that fucking rom-com where I guess, like, one of them's a Yankees fan, one's a, a Red Sox fan. I don't know. Red Sox are involved. It's called Fever Pitch. It's a baseball love story kind of thing. I didn't watch it. I'm not gonna watch it. But it also flops. Much like Taxi, he's one of the stars. Uh, doesn't lose money, again, but brings in such little money from the time spent, the investment spent, that studios are now like, fuck this. Jimmy Fallon is not a viable product to put out in the movie world. People don't want to see him. And again, I don't blame them. It is kind of interesting, though, how one person's success in one field of, of, of 
entertainment, right? When he's on TV in these sketches, people love him. He he is beloved, I would say, around the time he leaves SNL to go into movies, like 03, 04. He's one of the most popular uh, cast members on SNL before he leaves. People are always talking about how funny and silly it is that he can't keep his goddamn mouth closed and stop himself from laughing. He he has this charm to him. Where I'm actually surprised that it didn't translate into better success in the movies. Surprised that, but by other people. I was obviously never going to fucking be the one to go buy a ticket to see Jimmy Fallon play whatever goofy role he would be in. But he takes all that, right? And he kind of goes away for a few years. According to his Wikipedia, starts drinking more than usual because he's not used to these kinds of failures. And I totally feel bad for the guy during this period. You know, he had the success on SNL that he wanted in terms of he got his dream job and he succeeded at it. He became one of the most popular cast members. He was on sketches every week. He was contributing, all this stuff. So this is a new realm where he's like, I'm an entertainer. I think I can do this. Turns out America says he can't. The, the world sees your work and goes, we don't want it. So that must suck. I can, I can understand wanting to kind of isolate, pull back, drink a bit more than usual, get those cheeks nice and rosy, and kind of figure out your next game plan. This is actually the most relatable part of Jimmy Fallon to me, is his drinking which is like a public knowledge thing, not only during this period, I mean his general drinking. Like, he's known for just basically finishing up with the fucking Tonight Show, wrapping up, you know, that production, and going to tie one off at the local dive bar every night. Which, of course, if you were in New York City making millions of dollars and your job let you off in time for happy hour to start, Not, like, to get there during happy hour. Fucking, he films during the day. The show airs at night. So, you know, he gets out 3.30, 4 o'clock. He has nowhere to be. Infinite resources, infinite money. Yeah, just fucking go drink with people. I would be drunk every night if that was my life. And then I could just afford to get an Uber home every time. Or a fucking private limo to pick me up. Probably on NBC's Dime? Of course, why would you not do that? I would love to drink with Jimmy Fallon. I'm sure, I'm sure drunk Jimmy Fallon's great. I'm sure also his brand of comedy when he's had a few drinks and he's not on camera, probably a bit different. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say he's not this squeaky clean guy all the time. I could be wrong. His brand of humor is that kind where maybe I'm just projecting and thinking... Part of it is for show or an act. Not even that he's, he's making it up or, or, or anything like that, but just you get a few drinks in him, you're, you're bullshitting at a bar, there's no cameras around. He might, he might start saying some things that you wouldn't think... To, the blackface SNL sketch might start making more sense. It might start being like, oh, Maybe he did put a gun to Lauren's head and be like, let me wear blackface on your television show. (laughs) I don't think it's that bad. I'm just saying he probably isn't the squeaky clean guy when he's tying one off with the locals. Now that said, he fails at movies. Movies aren't good uh, critically. They aren't good financially. He's in a bad place. And then eventually he gets pulled back to television. He gets asked to host one of the late night shows. Actually, you know what, right before we get into that, just because I have this side tangent that kind of happens during his years as a a, a late-night host. So, in 2012, Jimmy Fallon put out a comedy album called Blow Your Pants Off that won a Grammy. Now, it's, it's like these, you know, he has that history of rap with Justin Timberlake that, like, fucking blew up years ago toward, towards the start of his, of his late-night hosting. It, it It's an album like that. It's all like these silly songs, some parodies, some original. Out of all the tracks, by the way, Jimmy Fallon only was a co-writer on like three of the 12. 25% of the album he contributed to just with his own ideas. He performs the rest. But hey, that happens a lot in music anyway. So whatever, right? Whatever. Except he won a Grammy for it. He won a Grammy for a comedy album in a year that featured fucking 
monster comedy albums. I mean, fucking Mr. P from, from Patrice O'Neill came out that year. Uh, New in Town from John Mulaney, which skyrocketed him. It fucking strapped a rocket to him and blasted him to the next level of success. It was that good of a comedy album and comedy special. Highly quotable. To this day, you see memes from lines from that special with John Mulaney. Whether it's the joke about um, using the word midget and how he wanted to do a late night set uh, on... on Maybe even maybe it could have been fucking Jimmy Fallon's late night show, and he wanted to use the word midget, and you know the censor was like, "Hey, you can't use the word midget. That's like using the n word." And he's like, "Well, obviously it's not. If you're willing to, if you're comparing the badness of two words, and you won't even say the other word, they're not equally bad. That's how that works." I'm kind of butchering the joke, but the point is, you see that everywhere. You see different lines from that special, that comedy album, everywhere to this day, eight years later. Fucking Whiskey Icarus from Kyle Kinane came out that year. One of my favorite albums of all time. It's, but the the biggest fucking tragedy to me is that Jimmy Fallon wins a Grammy for a comedy album in a year when Tignataro released Live. Now, if you do not know this album, first off, stop listening to this fucking podcast and go listen to Tignataro's Live. You can find it on Spotify, iTunes, all that shit. It is a fucking masterpiece. If you don't know the story of it, Tignataro was diagnosed with breast cancer, I think that week. I'm talking a few days before this set was recorded, maybe a week before, okay? And she went to go do a set, and the the booking had already, you know, she already had this on her calendar, then she got diagnosed, and she didn't want to pull away, you know, maybe she needed the money, maybe she wanted to just feel normal after going through all this. So she goes does a set, and records it, literally starts the set by going, hello, hi, welcome, I have breast cancer, hello, how are you, good to see you, I have breast cancer. People thinking she's joking, being ridiculous, like, oh, who would intro themselves and also say they have cancer? Turns out, no, Tignataro was telling the crowd, heads up, I have breast cancer, and we're gonna talk about it. And what follows is 30 to 40 minutes of some of the most beautiful, raw comedy ever recorded. That is not hyperbole. At points during this album, because again, she went into this a few days after, not a lot of fully formed jokes about her fresh cancer diagnosis. But she's such a great comic with a great comedy mind that she has these half-baked ideas that she goes in with and makes it work. She's like, this is kind of funny about my breast cancer. This is kind of funny about the, the process or how I found out or all this stuff. And and makes it work. She, you know, comedy plus time, or I'm sorry, tragedy plus time equals comedy. That's the formula. She even makes a joke during this. At, at that point, when she was doing the jokes, the time part hadn't happened yet. It was still pretty fresh in the tragedy stage, and she was making strangers laugh. It's a, at some point she even asked the crowd like, "Hey, are you, you guys okay with this? I know this is kind of weird or whatever." And some guy in the crowd says what I think everyone in that room and everyone listening thought. He goes, "No, don't stop. This is fucking beautiful," and he's right. There is nothing recorded. Okay, I, actually, I would say because of the recent Dave Chappelle special, which was you know the, the thirty-minute Netflix special in response to the recent Black Lives Matter movement, and the recent killing of George Floyd. I would say that's on the level of being powerful. However, Dave's wasn't funny. Not that he was, you know, trying to get laughs per minute. He was out there to speak his truth and share a message. But it was still powerful and, and entertaining as a form of, of learning and a form of empathy. Like connecting with another human over this shared fuck this sucks experience. Tig was powerful and hilarious in a way that you will not see or hear anywhere else. I highly recommend going to listen. That said, Jimmy Fallon won a Grammy 
for his comedy album the same year that came out. A comedy album where he contributed less than half, less than one-third of the writing. He had people make some shit up for him that he sung along to, danced in his little studio, beep bop ba I'm Jimmy Fallon, I look like an alcoholic doll. Then he got a Grammy for it. Fucking, that's the kind of thing where I go, okay, I could hate Jimmy Fallon here. I could. I could be like, his comedy sucks, and therefore I don't want him to succeed at all. I don't want him to have any accolades. I don't want him to enjoy success. But that's not it. I'm mad at the fucking machine surrounding him that made it all possible. Tignataro gave you the most raw and real comedy of, of a fucking lifetime. Recorded it. And it was breathtaking. Both with how hard you laugh and how inspiring it is. And Jimmy Fallon goofed his way through other people's writing to a fucking Grammy. He fails upward into success. His largest successes are things around him. It's not him. When he's on the marquee, they fail. The movies failed. SNL succeeded because at that point it was too big to fail. And he had, obviously, a a surrounded cast of talented people. He entered an established TV thing and didn't ruin it. He he ruined some sketches with with the laughing, but he didn't break it down and, and ruin SNL. So that was a success. Then the movies happened and it failed. Back, back to the Grammy. Okay, uh, success with his comedy album, even though he contributed almost as little as possible when you look at the fucking credits of the album. So he's got to break it down and be like, no, 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 it's not, it's not even Jimmy's fault. I can't be mad at Jimmy for this. I have to be mad at the fucking machine that surrounds it. But okay, that rant over. Let's get into the final part, his whole you know career with late night hosting and how that's going now. So Jimmy signs on to start hosting the, the, the Late Show in 2009. And even the marketing about it is, is self-aware. Where, like, one of the promos they used was like, You loved him on SNL. You hated him in the movies. Now you're ambivalent. So at least they're aware that, like, hey, things weren't going well for you recently. And they try to, you know, spin it in, in a cute way. Although right away you're thinking, if I'm an executive at NBC or just in, on producing the show or, or, or whatever, it's like... Is this really the best option then? We're getting someone that we all agree people don't like right now and don't really care about? Now that said, he, he gets the job, he makes it his own because he's just, he, he's a simple, fun-loving guy. He doesn't want to do the typical late-night shtick of like, you know, dress down politics, make fun of the current president, uh... Make it clear what side you're on. I mean, if you're on TV, it's, it's going to be liberal. You're not going to have a fucking conservative late night host, especially not these days. But he, he does away with all that shit. He keeps the, the general format of late night, has some guests on for, for interviews to help promote and, you know, bring attention to the show. But it's mostly just songs and games and very put on in the background, don't think too much, have a good time shit, which is his brand. It's genius. He he actually, what he does really well here is that he clearly has a good eye for talent. He knows what's entertaining, like what entertains him. He's like, oh, this is going to work for other people too. So he brings on The Roots. He's like, I love The Roots. They'd be a cool house band. They're fun to bounce back and forth with. They kind of get the vibe of the show. Bring them in. Then it's like, hey, I'm not, I'm not politics guy. I'm not, you know, I'm going to do a monologue, but I'm not going to, you know, insert myself into it and really like address the the nation at large the way other late night hosts do i'm gonna rap with justin timberlake about rap i'm gonna sing a song about the history of rap and that's it's gonna fucking go viral he just does these silly things while also incorporating his interests of music and sketches and and just makes it work for himself to this i say he deserves a lot of credit easily his biggest success and well-earned, well-earned success. 
You take a guy who is failing in movies after having success before that, so he has to, like, rebound his confidence and rebound his brand. You give him a very prominent show, the the late show, make him the host, and kind of give him the reins to, to find his voice and find his groove, and he does it. He does it in a way that also starts branching out into social media and YouTube where his clips are going viral and making the rounds on Twitter and, and Facebook at the time, all that shit. So you have someone who's actually building the brand of the show, making it bigger, and making it his own in a very genuine way. My hat's off to Fallon here, 100%. He does this for a few more years. They eventually make him the successor to The Tonight Show. He's now hosting that. And again, I have no problem with it because not only is he doing it his own way, genuine, authentic, all that shit, but I'm also not the target audience. So who cares if I like it or not, right? It's not really until the quarantine episodes, which, again, is what I've really only seen, because traveling back from Denver, I stop at hotels, I catch the show. When I see the fucking Alec Baldwin one, I start doing a bit more research, because I'm like, are, are all of them this bad and weird? Or did I just catch one where it was off, right? It was just Jimmy trying too hard to be the nice boy at home and and just he's trying to find his, his his own footing again he has to refind his footing now that the show is being broadcast from his house and he doesn't have the bells and the whistles he doesn't have the roots playing there he doesn't have someone to bounce off of really right but i start watching a few of the quarantine episodes specifically the monologues and it just keeps defining the case of failing upwards. Have you have you heard or seen the monologues from Jimmy Fallon's The Tonight Show during quarantine? We're going to go through a few of the jokes, unedited. Just him, the audio of him doing the monologue from his show. Listen to how unenthused he is. How low energy and, and just bummed out the monologue sounds. For this comedy entertainment monologue. Let's go through it. Well, guys, a former member of President Trump's cabinet is now speaking out against him. That could be one of like 900 people. But this one happened to be his former defense secretary general, James Mattis. In a statement, General Mattis said, Donald Trump is the first president in my lifetime who does not try to unite the American people, does not even pretend to try. Instead, he tries to divide us. Trump saw that and was like, why don't you be a man and tweet that to my face? That's right, Trump denied he's trying to divide us. Then he added more fencing between him and the protesters. Do you hear that? Like, Jimmy, if, if Jimmy Fallon hears this, please, next time you're recording the show, blink twice if you need help. It sounds like someone who's reading off an ISIS cue card with a gun pointed to their head off camera. This does not sound like a fun-loving guy who wants to tell some jokes and make people laugh and then make $20 million at the end of it. This is a guy who is being forced to do something against his will. That is how it sounds. I mean, fuck, man. I know everyone's bummed out. We're in the midst of a pandemic. We're stuck at home. Except you're stuck in a luxury apartment in Manhattan making millions and millions a year off being okay. Off being fine with comedy. You know what? No. He's good at comedy. I just don't like his brand. I'm trying to give credit where it's due. He's good at comedy, but this is your time to be good. It's your show. Turn the energy up a fucking bit, man. Act like you want to tell this monologue. Act like you're excited to fucking make people watching it laugh. You're only filming for an hour. Maybe a bit more with some editing. It's I'm doing it right now. I sound animated and excited because I am. But if I wasn't, 
I would try to fake it. I'd put on a smile, turn the energy up a little bit. He fucking... He did improv and comedy on, on SNL. He knows how, about energy. It really sounds like a hostage situation. I don't know who at NBC... You know what? Maybe that's it. Maybe this is the week where someone at NBC was like, Listen, we're gonna fucking release the, the blackface sketch from 2000 where you played Chris Rock if you don't pay us $50 million. So during this monologue, he's thinking, do I pay them? Is it going to be worth it to not ever have to face that reality again? Where people go, hey, wait a second. Were you doing blackface 20 years ago? Let's talk about this, buddy. Maybe that was going on. Maybe something was happening where it caused him to have this very deadpan, low-energy delivery. But hey... Let's go to a completely separate week's monologue and listen to some jokes from that real quick. In a new interview, the founder of Quibi says he blames everything that has gone wrong with the streaming service on the coronavirus. He might have a point if only the entire world were stuck at home desperate for new content. Listen to this. I saw Do you hear that long pause before he starts trying to go into the next joke? You can almost hear his soul sigh he finishes that joke it's silent for a few beats and he doesn't make this sound but you can almost hear it it's almost (sighs) like buddy you're being paid millions and millions of dollars fake it lie to me lie to my face and pretend it's okay put on that fucking award-winning smile of yours Turn the charm on and make believe that things are okay. That's why people are watching your fucking show to begin with. To be entertained and take your mind, take their mind off the current situation of the world. Obviously, the monologue jokes bringing up here and there, I actually didn't realize how political it's gotten. But again, we're living in an age where you can't not be political. So it makes sense that the monologue, you know, involves that kind of shit. But still... Fucking do do your job! It's another case of Jimmy Fallon not doing his job and being rewarded. Millions and millions of dollars. He doesn't have to go to the studio anymore. He doesn't have to travel a fucking foot outside of his bedroom. He can wake up, still have bedhead, because again, it's part of the goofy charm. Could play it off like, oh, hey, I just woke up and we're doing the Tonight Show. What time did I wake up? Afternoon? <laughs> Whatever goofy shit he wants to do, it'll work. You just put on the smile. Up the, up the attitude. Up the energy. You're fucking hosting a show. When I go host a show, hey, everyone, how's it going tonight? How you doing? You guys doing good? Where are you guys from? You know, just basic shit. Just be fun-loving. Have a good time. Others will follow you. When you're making that level of money, and this is your job, and I'm looking to you for entertainment and an escape from my reality, and you're going, yeah, so uh, Dr. Fauci testified the other day, and uh, the only thing we uh, were, was wondering was, uh, hey, uh, what, when are the, are the uh, rest of the keyboard elves going to show up? Oh, so, yeah, um, I guess in, in other news, the, the coronavirus vaccine is... Uh, uh, about about one year away from being made. Like, do you do you hear that? Do you hear how low energy that delivery is? Does, does it sound fun? Does it sound entertaining? No, it sounds like news drivel just being repeated to people looking for an escape from that. It's like, oh, we just got here about fucking Dr. Fauci and Trump and coronavirus and, and, and all this shit, and you're not even gonna smile through it? Fucking Fox News and CNN, they at least... Smile? (laughs) They have higher energy than the fucking monologue he's delivering. Outrageous. And a case, again, of this one I'm putting on Fallon. He could turn the energy up. This is on him, as well as NBC and the machine surrounding it for not being like, hey man, fucking up it a little bit. We're all in a rough situation. We're all going through it together. But not all of us are being being, being paid 20 million dollars a year for the job we're doing 
Most of America don't have, not most, but a large portion don't have jobs right now. Fucking 30 million people unemployed, and for $20 million a year, he can't fucking yuck it up and bring the energy up a little bit? Failing upward. Jimmy Fallon is someone who's not untalented. He's not lazy. He, he deserves success. Not the level of success he's had, but success. It's the machine surrounding it, and just entertainment business in general, and of course the people out there who just... I mean, the people who laugh at Jimmy Fallon, like out loud laugh, they fucking read the popsicle stick jokes and belly laugh. Knock knock, who's there? Orange. Orange who? Orange, you glad to see me? <laughs> because orange sounds like aren't you? Oh, that's good. That's good wordplay. I'm gonna I'm gonna put that one in my phone notes to bust it out on a friend later. That's the kind of person that listens to Jimmy Fallon and actually laughs. So I understand that I'm not the target. But I do know that when people are being told jokes, when they're looking to be entertained and to laugh, fucking delivering the joke like a joke goes a long way. My first year of comedy, I had all shit jokes. They were all awful. The writing was bad. I thought it was good at the time, obviously. But I knew how to deliver a joke. You know, you have this cadence, ba 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 punchline. Smile during the punchline. Smile during the joke. People like to have fun, and if you're having fun, they will have fun with you. It's fucking Entertainment 101. This reads like a goddamn ISIS tape where Jimmy Fallon was kidnapped and is now being held hostage and used as a terrorist ransom. These monologue jokes sound like their demands that he's reading off for us. It's outrageous. And to think of the money he's making during it. How do you, how do you not honor this man as a dickhead? He, he's, he's a great dickhead. He fucking failed upward. It's the American dream. To be okay at something. To even good. He's even, I would say he's good. He's good at something not great. And he parlayed being good into being one of the most successful people in America. Millions and millions and millions of dollars a year. So now, so now he can film at home, throw it on YouTube, and do a basic job of it. Not a good job. Definitely not a great job. Just enough. We're watching someone skate by into millions of dollars. And if I'm coming out of a place of anger, it's out of jealousy. Not out of hate towards Jimmy. Out of hate towards the system. And jealous that he's living the true American dream. This podcast isn't the best podcast. I think it's okay. And it's gonna get better. But I'm currently making zero dollars off it. Because that's around the level it's at. Free. Give it for free. Keep practicing. Keep finding interesting people you want to talk about. Get better as a solo broadcaster. All of that. We're watching him skate by and do okay work. And then go home to dive in a pool of Jack Daniels and money. I gotta respect it. I gotta give him props. Folks, that's this week's episode. That is the dickhead of the week, Jimmy Fallon. If you liked it, please go uh, rate and review on iTunes, even though they censor our name like a fucking cuck. They put stars in, in, in dickhead. Okay. They're never going to know what the word is, and you've saved so many children from the horrors of the world. We're fucking gassing people on fucking live TV <laughs> during peaceful protests. But the word dickhead might set someone down a dark path, right? Uh, also, go follow on social media. You can follow me at ChrisFNSicoli uh, on Instagram, Twitter. Although Twitter fucking blocked me for being hacked by a Ray-Ban spammer. So I gotta get that back. 
Uh, really go to Instagram at Chris FN Sicoli. Putting up some uh, sketches that I'm shooting this week with my sister. Very excited about that. Uh, also go follow the podcast uh, social media at D O A D Cast on you know Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, all that stuff. Uh, nothing really interesting there yet, but uh, I have some writing partners, some some comic friends that we're doing some stuff with in the next month. So those will be updated. But hey, get a jump start now, and then when the start stuff starts coming out, you don't have to re follow. You just open your feed one day and you're like, oh, let's check this out. And then you check it out and you're like, hey, that was worth it. I'm glad I followed a month ago. So just go do it. Just go fucking do it, okay? Okay? I love you guys. If you listened this far, then I fucking love you. So thank you and see you next week. Bye-bye.